everybody. Hello, everybody upstairs. Well, Cafe. Uh, it's good to see you all in church today. Uh, thanks for braving the weather. You never know when it's bad weather. It's either like nobody's going to show up because they don't want to get out of the house or like everybody's going to show up because all their plans got canceled. I don't know. But I'm going <laughs> to... Logan, you need to sit on the front row with all that laughing. Like, that's good. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to choose to believe you all just couldn't wait to get here and didn't matter what the weather was going to be. You were going to be here today in church. I'm glad you are. If we haven't met before, my name is Johnny. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor for this worship community uh, that we call The Well here at First Methodist Mansfield. It's a worship community that meets in two places at one time. There are people upstairs uh, across the campus that have been worshiping with their own worship band up there and, uh, and are now joining us for the message. And if you didn't know up there, we have people down here. So um, it's not a laugh track that you hear down here. These are actually people... <laughs> Oh, that would be a good idea. Uh, we're in week two of a series called The B-I-B-L-E, Is This the Book for Me? It's a series that's born uh, out of this recognition that we have this desire to grow closer to Christ, to know Christ more with each passing day, and that to do that, we know that, that this book, this thing we call the Bible, is, is an important part of that, but uh, we also recognize that it's quite a struggle sometimes. It's complex, and it's it's difficult to understand, and we've been taught many different things about what the Bible is and was it, what it isn't, and it, and it challenges us because we bump up against things that uh, might, might cause a lot of questions, let's say, and so we wrestle with it, and then we end up just putting it away and, and hoping somebody else reads it and figures it out for us, and then uh, we let them do all the work, but there, there's something really important about engaging this um, that, that we do. Um, so we, we wanted to put a series together where we really just kind of addressed out loud some of those things. Uh, this past week, uh, Pastor David, I don't know if you saw, posed a question on Facebook uh, asking, like, what are the, some of the questions you have uh, and the challenges you face when trying to read and understand your Bible? And if you saw that thread, uh, if you commented on that thread, you saw that there were lots of questions. You all had a whole lot of questions, uh, lots of very good questions. Some of you uh, might have even seen those questions, didn't comment, but you thought, like, yep, I have that question, and that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. Some of you wrote your question also knowing that you saw other questions up there. Maybe you had a totally unique question. Lots of them. But here's what I want you to hear and all that. I hope that that's encouraging to you. I hope that's encouraging you and you find hope in the fact that, that everybody has questions about it. We all have tons of questions about this, this thing we call the Bible. We, we, it's not just you. We all have them. And I, I want to give you this word of affirmation. First of all, 
even within scriptures themselves, we find people asking questions about God, um, about God's will, and about the scriptures that they have available to them. And also, um, we, we worry about questions sometimes because we feel like we have to defend this thing. Like, somebody else has questions, and, and we might have the same questions, but this is our book, right? So don't you dare talk bad about it, right? So we feel like we have to defend it, but it's really done a pretty good job of defending itself over the years, so it doesn't need you for that. Um, so I want to release you from that burden. Um, but also, I believe firmly that, that God is big enough for our questions. And questions are how we find answers. Like, it's at the root of a question is the, is the honest and earnest seeking of an answer. And whether we've asked the question and then given up, or we ask the question and we dig deeper, the question itself is good. So we, we embrace questions. Now, I want to shoot straight with you. Uh, we, there's no way we could answer all of the questions in the matter of a five-week series, uh, in a 30-minute-ish sermon. Uh, that's impossible. And, and in fact, I don't know that that's ever possible. I don't know that I could ever answer every question because for, for many of us, especially those of you in, in these rooms that, that have been in your Bible for a long time and feel like you have a pretty good grasp of it, you could attest to the fact that as you find answers, you also discover more questions that you didn't even know were questions. It's, a, it's, an, it's an endless journey that goes deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of God. So uh, I, I can't answer all of them, but what I hope to do over the next few weeks and, and today is to provide a few general principles, some guiding principles as we read that might explicitly answer some of your questions, but also might provide a sort of framework for you as you read uh, scriptures, as you seek to understand scriptures, that might help you process questions as they arise. That's what I hope to do. Last week, we didn't jump right in with any of those questions. We just asked one very simple question, which is, why? It does no good to convince me or anybody how to use something or how it's made and if we don't know why we need it. And so we talked a little bit about why we need the Bible. Why is it important for us to engage this? And we, we really broke it down to two reasons. The first is that we need the Bible because it's the primary source of our faith. And without a firm grounding in the source of our faith, we might lose that faith. So not only is it a place where we find and discover God, but we also remain grounded in it as a way of staying connected with what's going on in there and, and fuel for our faith. This week, we're going to address the question, what is the Bible? What even is this thing that we carry around we ask you to bring? So if you brought yours with you today, uh, what I would like you to do is locate it and then just place it on your lap, right? Upstairs too. Uh, if you don't have one with you, uh, we have blue ones uh, in both rooms. Grab one of those, place that in your lap. Uh, we're not going to read anything real specific. We're going to read bits and pieces, but we're going to kind of get a general overview of what's going on in here. So it's going to be helpful for you to be able to thumb through it while we talk about it. So I've heard of the Bible referred to as many things while you're locating one and placing it on your lap. And you might have heard these before too, uh, that kind of shape the way we interact with this, the way we think about this, and that I think are totally wrong. Right, And so uh, if you disagree, you can email me later. Uh, my email is pastordavid at fmcm.org. <laughs> I've heard of this thing referred to as an owner's manual or basic instructions before leaving earth. Uh, that's an acronym if you didn't know. Uh, but this is neither basic nor is it merely instructions. Anybody who tells you this thing is basic, just open it up and read it and you'll get it? Pfft, no. And here's another bone I have to pick. People say the Bible is clear a lot about things, and the Bible is rarely clear about things. Um, I don't think it's supposed to be, but 
Anyways, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, it's also been used as a science book, right? We've used this to, <laughs> to describe scientific things and prove science wrong, right? It's not that either. Uh, it's not an oracle or a book of promises, right? It's, it's not a self-help guide. It's not a book that only pertains to you, and the only things that are important are the things that really resonate with your soul, right? That's not what this is either. What we have here is the history of the divine human encounter. We have for us here God's self-revelation or self-disclosure to humans as it's experienced by humans. What we have here is what we called last week a witness. We have a witness of lives that encountered God in a very real way. And sometimes in very flawed ways. But it's recorded for us here. And we get to see God's presence at work through these lives. Quite simply put, and this is the simplest way to put it, the Bible is the story of God, notice the capital S, the story of God told by the people of God. The story of God told by the people of God. Which means that this book that you have on your lap has a very real, like, divine, God-breathed element to it. But it also has a very real human element as well. For the rest of our time together, what I want to explore are those two realities. That we, we hold in our hands a witness that has human and divine elements to it. And so I, I want to look at first, like, what's in the Bible like, what's the human part of the Bible? And then I want to look at what's going on in the Bible. Like, how is it divine as well? So first, the human element. Uh, you've heard me refer to this as a book, and I probably will continue to do so because it's contained within a single uh, binding. But this is actually much more than a book, quite literally. It's more like a library. Some of you know that, so it's a no-duh no statement. But for some of you, that's, that's new. This is a library. There, the things that we have in here, uh, the names are not chapters. These are books. These are books, and so you would have it like a library, like books lined up. But we just happen to have them all contained right here. It wasn't written all at once. This didn't fall from heaven you know, in, into our laps, all written at one time. Uh, it's 66 books written by approximately 40 different authors, in essentially two, maybe three, languages. Basically, it's Hebrew and Greek with a little Aramaic thrown in there uh, every now and again. And these uh, were actually ancient versions of these languages, right? The Hebrew that people read, if you have a Hebrew Bible or, or a, a, a Greek uh, Bible, it's not even the same Hebrew and Greek, right? It's, it's Hebrew and Greek that has transformed over time as humanity has evol uh, evolved. So they're even translating within the same Language. It's been written over the course of many hundreds of years, and it's in a variety of genres. You can see a table on the screen I put there is a very basic layout. Uh, you can see in the Old Testament, um, which is also known as the Hebrew Bible, the first five books are the books of Moses. Then we have historical uh, books. We have writings, which is like poetry and wisdom literature, the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, things like that. And then you have the prophets. All those names, right? Like Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, uh, Malachi, Obadiah, right? Like all, the, all the, those are all prophets uh, in there. And, and that's, that's how it's ordered. It's not ordered chronologically. 
It's ordered as if you were to go to a library and find these on a shelf. Like you walk to the history section, you walk to the, you know, the uh, philosophy section where you find the, the wisdom literature, and then you have the prophets over here. New Testament's kind of the same way. The first four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you have Gospels. Uh, then you have one book, the Acts of the Apostles. It's part two of the Gospel of Luke, right? But it's the, the, the disciples who became apostles and started the early church. Uh, then you have letters. All of those apostles wrote letters to these various churches that were popping up. And then you have Revelation, which is like off in the corner because nobody checks that book out. But, uh, <laughs> but Revelation is really a combination of many of these writings. Um, it's a letter, um, but it's also a prophecy, um, but it's also apocalyptic. Um, apocalypse meaning to reveal, hence the name Revelation. Uh, and it really has to do with kind of how things turn out. It uh, uses a lot of vivid, vivid imagery and... Um, that's why people love it and hate it all at the same time and make movies about it. Uh, but you see apocalyptic, apocalyptic writing also showing up in, in places like Daniel, the book of Daniel. There's a whole back half of that. Um, even Jesus, some of the things in the Gospels, that they call them little apocalypses where Jesus uh, talks about that kind of stuff. All that to say, it's all very interesting to me anyways. And uh, we don't have time to really go through all of that and dig real deep into historical context and literary context and what does that mean for how you read them. Uh, it's all very important and fascinating stuff. So what I want to do is commend a book to you. Uh, it's called Making Sense of the Bible by Adam Hamilton. Uh, some of you have read it, I know. Uh, it's one that could be read a million times. Keep it on your shelf. If you haven't, I really hope you do. It is a book that does an incredible job of combining really good scholarship with extremely accessible uh, writing. Uh, it's, it's for everybody. It's not just for super nerds uh, or scholars. It's for everybody, and it's so deep and so good, so informative. Also, I would like to commend to you, um, if you don't have one already, a really good study Bible. Um, good study Bible. Uh, you can see the website I put up there, uh, pastordavidalexander.com slash newbible. He wrote a very helpful blog post um, helping you find not only like a good translation for you to read and, and some of the recommendations he has, uh, but also good study Bibles that will give you lots of good historical and literary context. For some of you thinking about this human element of scripture, it makes you very nervous. That's okay. It makes you nervous. If something stirs, there's like a little panic, a little anxiety rising up in you because you might think, well, like, aren't humans, they're imperfect, right? And I've been taught that this thing is infallible. How can this thing be infallible if it's written by fallible uh, creatures? Here's what's really important for us to understand about the human element. As we read scripture and as we understand the way God works in the world today, God's way of working in the world has always been through people. Always. The sovereign God of the universe, all-loving, all-powerful, has worked through the sometimes-loving, not-very-powerful creation. That's always how God's worked. From the liberating of the, of the Hebrew people out of, uh, out of Egypt, from the, the teaching of the gospel, from the healings, everything has been worked through these, the fallible and, and limited human condition. But we could go the other way. If the Bible is meant to be a flawless, direct word from God, wouldn't you think that that would have been provided to the first creation? Like Adam and Eve, like before that, like day three or four or something like that, God's like, oh, I mean, let me forget this. Like, put that over there. <laughs> Don't go to that tree. Come right here and read this. <laughs> 
I mean, wouldn't that have made sense? Or like at the very least, if God just kind of assumed they were going to get it right and then like later found out he didn't, like found a suitable candidate, like I'll, I'll suggest Moses maybe, uh, and, and just like sit him down somewhere in a cave, like put him in a trance, put a little quill in his hand and just say, like whisper in his ear exactly what to write down. And in, in such a way that was going to be timeless and eternal, we weren't going to have to retranslate it. It was going to be in this unique language that like everybody was just going to know, Right? That way we could get it right. Like if, if God were to do that, would this be the output? Like wouldn't you think it would be a lot clearer, a little more just up front, a little shorter? <laughs> to remove the human element of revealing God, of of witnessing to God's work is to go against everything we believe about how God works. These words are human words. And through things like poetry and and proverbs and parables and historical records and, and even law, right? Leviticus, that's where everybody usually quits reading the Bible. Like we, even through law, these human words are seeking to express the unexpressible, the inexpressible encounter that they have with God and what it's meant in their life and what they hope it can bring to lives that they encounter as well. It's a human word, but there's something entirely divine about it too. So we have a living word here because it's communicated through lives. But it's not just human, right? We've talked about the human document, but it's not just human. There's actually a much larger story playing out here in the smaller stories of human history that we have. There's a very divine, that's the best word I can come up with, divine element to it. And so to, to really get at that, to, we've talked about what is in this thing, but I, I want to talk about what's going on in here. But to help me do that, I really want to give us kind of a broad picture, broad picture of the Bible. And to do that, I, I want you to imagine with me for a minute that the Bible is a, um, uh, a rom-com. Now, if you don't know what a rom-com is, it is a romantic comedy. It is um, movies or books. Um, and it might feel really sacrilegious to call it that, but, <laughs> but hang with me, all right? All um, right. Great stories, great rom-coms, right? They have a beginning, a once upon a time, if you will, right? It's the meeting of the two people that become the subject of the story, right? That the one that's being told. And, and if you have a once upon a time at the beginning, at the end of the story, we might have a happily ever after. Very good. I know there's a little bit in here. Upstairs probably yelled it out. They knew exactly what it was. Uh, you have a once upon a time, and, then, and they lived happily ever after. And, and, and this happens. like This is part of the story, but it's not the whole story because there's stuff that takes place in between, right? When they first meet, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is forever, right? They were meant to be. Like, look how, look how perfect it is. It's love is at first sight. How could this ever go wrong? They were made for each other. But pretty soon, something goes wrong. 
something goes wrong, and all of the stuff in between once upon a time and happily ever after is this series of like hits and misses. There's betrayal, there's unmet expectations, right? There's, there's attempts to show love and devotion that either work or, or they don't. Sometimes they miss the mark. There's times where it seems like progress is being made in the relationship. And then there's other times where it seems like it is never going to work out. They are never going to get back together. They might as well both just give up because they're failing miserable, miserably at bringing this relationship back together, at fixing the breaks in the relationship. But what we find out, what we figure out as we watch the movie is that as time goes, all of the failure, all of the misses that they have, all of the breaks, all of the, all the good and the bad mixed up in their attempt to be together, brings, they keep inching forward closer and closer to one another until they've been led to the happily ever after. If you're going to open your Bible that you have there on your lap and you were to turn to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have the tale of creation. Um, chapters 1 and 2 both uh, speak of creation in two very different ways. Um, but this is very much how our Bible starts, right? We have our once upon a time. It says right here, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, or once upon a time, God created the heavens and the earth. And from that moment, all things, God created all things, heaven and the earth. He created the sun and the moon. He made night and day. There were stars. He made birds. He made fish, cattle, bugs, all with great care, all with great attention. And he called it good. And then and he took extra special care and he created people, a special relationship, right? a, a, a unique relationship. God had a relationship with all of creation, but a unique relationship here with people. There's harmony of relationship between these three sort of categories, God, creation, and people, once upon a time. You can see this kind of in the triangle that's going to be uh, on the screen in just a second. There's this harmony of relationship, God and creation, God and people, people and creation. It's all working together in good relationship once upon a time, if you skip to the very end of your Bible in Revelation, in chapter 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible. So we looked at the first two chapters. Now we're looking at the last two chapters. If you look at verse 1 of 21, the beginning of the end here, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now I see a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God will be with them and be their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Happily ever after. But in between, things get a little messy. Things get a little messy. Because after Genesis 1 and 2, we have Genesis 3, which involves like a snake and a tree and an apple and things like that. And what we have there is the beginning of the rocky part of the relationship. Things get broken. 
You can see in that relationship of the triangle, you can see how every relationship is described in chapter 3 is broken. There's separation between God and people. They no longer walk together in the garden. God in creation, creation groans now, and people in creation, and even people in people. These relationships get broken. There's betrayal. It severs these relationships, and now the story is filled with many hits and misses from chapter 3 on. Uh, throughout our scripture, the stories of the lives, the history, the biblical history of these people seeking God. There are ups and downs. There's unmet expectations. There's times of great bravery and freedom and faithfulness. And there's other times where there's death and oppression and wickedness and unfaithfulness. All the while seeking to reconcile this relationship. But we know how the story ends. We know where we get to. We've read the happily ever after part. It's when those breaks in the triangle become whole again. It looks a lot like the first triangle. The relationships that have been broken become reconciled, made new again. But the broken triangle, the broken relationships that we have, the brokenness is what we have now. If you were to look at Genesis chapter 3 and you were to continue reading, you would notice how quickly things go from bad to even worse. Like, it spirals down. This is why people, when they try for the very first time to engage their Bible, and they decide they're going to start from the beginning and start reading. I don't, I don't suggest that, by the way. But if you do, that's why pretty quickly you start going, like, what the heck is this thing? Because it goes from bad to worse quickly. First, when the first thing happens, it starts bl- it's blame game, right? People are blaming each other. Then pretty soon people are, like, expelled from the garden. And then pretty soon a brother kills another brother. And then we have tribe versus tribe. And then we have nation versus nation. We have war. We have racism. We have xenophobia. We have slavery and genocide. It's like a complete wreck. Everything is falling apart. And it's not just like the non-God people. It's God people too. It's everyone. Everyone. And, 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 and they do sometimes, especially the God people, they do the most atrocious things. Like you'll, you will find that in here. The most awful things that people of faith do. And sometimes they're doing it in an attempt to be faithful, to reconcile their relationship with God. There's this longing, this hope to encounter God again, to make things right. And in their desperation to do so, they do some pretty terrible things to be reconciled. But does it stay bad all the time? I want to show you one timeline um, that uh, is not one. I marked it by saying no up there. Um, this is one way we think about the history and how, how God's going to work through the mess that we read in here and the, kind of the complexities that, we've, that we live out here, that we see this moment, the first triangle, everything's together, and then like everything breaks, right? And then everything's just awful all the time, just terrible, Right? And then pretty soon God comes in with a magic wand and like fixes it all. And we all like are back to normal again. Like everything's back the way it was. Like happily ever after, right? But the whole time we're just down here. Right? That's right. But we don't just continue to spiral out of control. If you see, if you read all and you see all the Bible, like you, you'll notice that even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of wickedness, we find these moments kind of breaking through of people encountering God. We see it in a rainbow. We see it in the burning bush. We see it in the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. 
as they shout and, and they protest and they write about God's unfailing faithfulness and our need as people to turn back, as people of faith, as people of God, to turn back from what we are doing because what we are doing is not working. It's not working. God's presence breaking through into these places. And when we spend more and more time with these stories, especially as a whole, and if we pay careful attention, we will notice that there is something hidden in the text. There's something in there that we might not notice otherwise if we just like, you know, rely on just reading one little verse that, you know, means something to me today. Or I just rely, my Bible reading is when a picture comes through on Facebook that I can share that has a nice little quip, you know, in it. We miss this part that there's something in the middle of these stories, even the good and the bad ones. There's something in there. There's like a big story that's unfolding in the midst of all these other stories, like right in front of us. Sure, we spiral out of control quickly when you read scripture. You see it, it's a quick down. But soon enough, we start to notice that that slows down. And the arc of the plot begins to change from this downward slope, and it starts moving upward. And when we have all of this, just when you're reading through Judges and Kings, like you're just like, what? But it's not too much farther that you start to read people of faith, not perfect people, but you start reading perfect, uh, people of faith saying things like, there is no more Jew or Greek. There's no male or female. There is no slave or free. Because we're all one. Things aren't fully fixed. But more and more the stories begin to truly reflect the heart of God. Different ways of encountering God and each other that are more just, more faithful, less violent, less afraid, more trusting. And it's no longer that people are just resorting immediately to fighting everybody that disagrees with them, we start seeing people that are like, wait, there's something different going on here. The divisions and the fears and the tensions are beginning to dissolve. Things are starting to look a little reconciled. And if we pay careful attention, we will see that thread. We'll see that arc. We'll see this force or or influence. We'll see a sort of logic that's playing itself out just beneath the surface of our senses. This is God. This is a God at work in people, and sometimes these people don't even know it. And as they write about their experience, as they write about this little unique place in history, they find that the story in which they are living is connected to this much bigger story that's been going on well before them. That this place, this unique place in history in which they reside has been shaped by that big story that has come before them and that they might find their place in that story that will continue on well beyond their life. But it's there with them in that moment. It's like if you zoom out from the biblical record, you will see this arc happening, this plot taking place It's not contained in just any one story, but it is played out over the course of this history. And it's moving in a certain way, almost like if God is right in front of us, 
the whole time just saying, come on, come on. And we move ever closer, sometimes taking a step back before we take four steps forward, but we're moving in a particular direction. Dr. Martin Luther King referred to this as the arc of the moral universe. It's not his term. He borrowed it from Theodore Parker. But it's been made famous uh, by MLK, and it happens to be MLK weekend, so we're going to share it here. He says this, The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. It bends toward newness and reconciliation. It bends toward God. You know King's story. He had a dream about uh, equality, civil rights. He gave his life for that dream. His life was, his story ended before that dream was realized for him. But it kept going. The justice that he hoped for, the reconciliation that he hoped for came. It was part of this bigger story, not just his story. He's, his story was a part of this bigger story, right? Like it came and we still have a long way to go, but it came. It's bending toward reconciliation. It's bending toward justice. We're not yet at happily ever after. we got a long ways to go in our world. There are a lot of broken things taking place. There's still a lot of injustice, a lot of inequality. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of work to do, but we are a long way from once upon a time. And when we see that big story taking place, when we find ourselves in the midst of that narrative, when we find that story, it becomes a part of our story as well. And we find ourselves creeping closer and closer to the heart of God as we continually listen for that voice that says, come on, come on. The Bible is the story of God told by the people of God. It's stories of people like you and me that are imperfect, that try our best sometimes to be faithful, but sometimes we just say the wrong things, sometimes we do the wrong things. It's like our stories. It's like a mirror that way. We, we see ourselves reflected in there, all of our hopes and dreams to be faithful, but also all of our doubts and our worry and our fear and our anxiety and our greediness and our propensity towards violence and our weakness and our sin. We see that reflected in these stories, which is why it is vital for us to know the human element of this. Because in it we find our humanness. But it's not a story about us. We find our story in here, but it's not a story about us. It's a story about God and how God overcomes those things and is constantly calling us forward to new things, to reconciliation. It's God's story. But when we find our story in God's story, it helps us tell our story better. It helps us live our lives in new and different ways. So the big question we have is how do we find it? That thread, that arc, right? That, that plot line, that, that big story that's happening there underneath the surface. How do we find that? Because sometimes when you read, like, it's not immediately evident that it's there. How do we know when I'm looking at it? Well, that you're going to have to come back next week because we've run out of time. <laughs> but that's where we'll pick up next week. We've seen the big story. We know that it's there. 
How do we recognize it when we see it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together today. Time to be in worship together. Uh, Our time to sing praises to your name. To lift you up. To glorify you, God. To express our faith and trust in you, God. We come here. Hearts and minds open. We bring our worries, our fears. We bring the things we think we know and the things we think we don't know. And we bring them and we lay them at your feet, God. Not because we abandon them, but because we trust you. We trust your power. We trust your goodness. God, we trust the way you work in and through us to enlighten us. God, we pray that as we consider the scriptures, And whether we have been so afraid, God, to not take this thing so literally because we think that's what we're supposed to do, God, release us of that fear. For those of us that have feared being a part of this, God, being engaged in in the scriptures, God, because we don't have answers to questions, God, release us of that fear. Let us not worry, God, about engaging the scriptures and engaging the Bible. Let us instead wonder in how you will reveal yourself to us and how we might find your story and make it a part of ours. In your name we pray, amen.